Well, welcome back to Two Pastors in a Mic. My name is Shanik. And I'm Corey. And we are here again with our friend Reggie. Uh, man, we had such a blast on last week's episode that we just decided to to do another one. So man, Reggie, glad to have you with us today. And uh, just all of our listeners, just thank you for continuing to uh, tune in. And I would really appreciate, I know Corey would as well, if you would leave a review. And also just share when you see the post uh, on socials, just share it so that your friends can uh, listen too. Well, we want to get to know Reggie just a little bit better. We'll uh, actually allow you to get to know Reggie a little bit better. So we have uh, several more questions uh, to ask Reggie. So I'm going to turn it over to Corey. What you got for him? Rapid fire edition questions of the week. Let's do it. If you could be an actor, who would you be? Uh, based on looks or personality. Uh, we'll give us like one who of, looks the most like me. One of each. I, I think oh, if no, I could sum it up in one person, Robert Downey Jr. I'm, okay. I'm, I got the same facial hair, so we'll just take it at that. Okay. How about nothing to do with looks? You just love him as an actor. Yeah, I like his style. Iron Man's the best Marvel movie. Come at me. Hulk's terrible. All the Hulks. Wow. Shots fired. Yeah. Okay. Who would you be based on your wife's celebrity crush? Uh, you know, my wife doesn't really have a celebrity crush. I will say this. Almost every time she points out an attractive actor or anything like that to me, first of all, I'm like, that dude looks nothing like me. <laughs> so what does that say? And then second of all, it's always like, really? <laughs> that guy? <laughs> if you listen to Shanik's answer on that several, several episodes ago, we learned. Yeah, so Melanie's celebrity crush is Chris Hemsworth, like oh. Thor. Like, how am I going to compete with that? Like, for real. You can't. Ain't no. nobody got you time can't. for that. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. What's a story that was serious at the time, but funny now? Okay. Uh, serious at the time. It was serious because of the circumstance surrounding it. We used to play poker all the time in, in school, like during class. We would try to get away with playing poker. You guys are of the age where you remember poker was everything. It's on ESPN all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chris Moneymaker. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Phil Ivey. So, Let's, uh, we would always play and we would just walk around with bags of quarters. Like with this group of four or five of us guys, we would just always play poker and we had this bag of quarters. So I had this big bag that had like $50 worth of quartership, uh, quarters in it. And we were playing one day in the back of a theater class and he was my favorite teacher ever. He comes back. I'll never forget. He was furious. His face was beat red. Everybody else sees him coming. My back is to him. So they get their money off the table and he just grabs my bag with like $50 a quarters in it. And he goes, what is this? I wasn't going to lie. I was like, this is my poker money. I didn't want him to take it. (laughs) It's my poker money, man. And he goes, well, thank you very much for your generous donation to the scholarship fund. And he donated my poker money to the scholarship fund. So you know what I did? Wrote it off on my taxes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Life hands you lemons. And uh, man, that's actually going to tie into our segment we want to talk about today. But we got one more question for you. Okay, we'll come back to the money. Yeah, what's the weirdest gift you've ever gotten? Uh, The weirdest gift I've ever gotten. I don't remember. Uh, Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There's one example. Uh, I didn't think it was weird. Okay. I didn't think it was weird at all. But apparently it's weird. Maybe I was a little bit too old. Maybe I was the wrong gender. But one Christmas at around 12 years of age, your boy asked, (laughs) requested, begged for an easy bake oven. You know why? Because I'm not stupid. I know that if I'm young, there's only one way for me to get cookies. I have to ask somebody else for cookies. But if I have an easy bake oven, I can make my own cookies anytime I want. So yeah, I asked for an easy bake oven and it was incredible. And my uncles knew 
that I wanted this Easy Bake Oven so badly that what they did was my grandma got me the Easy Bake Oven. They snuck into where she hid all the Christmas gifts without anybody knowing, and they took out my Easy Bake Oven out of the box and filled the box with all of my own old toys. My grandma had no idea. She wrapped up the Easy Bake Oven, and on Christmas Eve, whenever I opened it, I opened the Easy Bake Oven. My eyes were ablaze with joy. I was so happy. Couldn't be more pumped to have access to unlimited cookies. And then I started opening the Easy Bake Oven, pulled out like an old comb with missing teeth and this little rubber ball that was like 30 years old at the time. And I literally was so hopeful. I'm like, ooh, I have a ball that looks just like this. <laughs> I was trying to stay positive. And it took me like five toys in to realize what they did. And I looked up and they were just laughing. So I just left the room bawling. Crying. I was mortified. I was so embarrassed. But second of all, I just really had to get my hands on that Easy Bake Oven. Brilliant. Is it a weird gift if you just beat the system? Yeah, I mean, I didn't think so, but everybody else did. Amazing. Yeah. Well, you just talked about your poker donation to financial security for someone else. That's what I want to talk about. What's And then got a tax write-off. And then got a tax write-off. <laughs> if you're a listener and you don't know Reggie very well, Reggie was monumental in my life. We're both 34. And 10 years ago when I met you, we had conversations around finances and I never really paid attention to classes on finances, didn't really know much. And it was because of my relationship with you that I got turned on to finances and different gurus teaching different things. There's a couple that stick out more than others that have really challenged me and encouraged me. And now I'm in a financial situation that is in an incredible place, really because of the advice and friendship of you. And I think our listeners will highly benefit from a conversation around finances. We've never talked about finances. And I would like to just digest right into it. Yeah. Talk about it. Let's do it. Let's With talk no about question, it. where are you going to go? Yeah, I mean, first of all, a good place to start is the Bible. It's one of the subjects Jesus talked about more than any other. It's one of the reasons uh, people leave churches is they get uncomfortable with talks about finances. Uh, it's one of the things that pastors, especially in, in church leadership, are very reluctant to talk about finances because they don't want to offend or threaten anybody. Yet, however, uh, we have scriptural precedent to know how close, uh, how, how, how much of a keen eye and awareness we should pay to finances because the Bible literally says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So how you spend and treat money, as much as almost anything in your life, dictate integrity. I know that that's one of the reasons that I was so drawn to come into work here at Hill City for all those years is the absolute integrity that you guys displayed over decades of church leadership. I remember, Shannon, whenever I was going through the interview process, you told me a story about Louise and the records that she had kept for however long. Do you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, for sure. And she went through like decades of... It's like 30 years. Yeah, of our church history and our financial statements. And we even had a self-audit. We wanted to have someone come in from the outside to give us a great perspective. And they went through literally everything, all of our books, all of our financials for like 30 years. And there were $10 that were unaccounted for. $10. $10. Like out of the millions that would have added up over 30-something years, 
But then months later, Louise is like, I found that $10. <laughs> she found the $10. It's unbelievable. So yeah, if you want to be a person of integrity, you have to have integrity in your finances. So I don't know where you want to take it from here. We could talk about personal finance. We could talk about church finance. We could talk about uh, the old covenant principle of the tithe and how that applies to us. We, we could go a number of different directions with this conversation. Where do you want to start? Yeah. Well, whatever you don't hit on, we'll probably do an episode probably next week on finances, whatever is not hidden. I would love to hear, you know, just some of the principles that really guided you in making personal financial decisions. And I know we just talked about you dabbling in stock market stuff and just where you're at personally and some of your long-term goals and short-term goals and how you're, uh, in the process of achieving them. Absolutely. So there's this old joke that I've always kind of liked. Um, it's, it, it goes a little something like this. Do you know what diet is the best diet? The one that you stick to. So you can have arguments all day long about whether you want to be vegan, plant-based, keto, macro, no fat, all fat, nothing but fat. I don't care what you do. If you're intentional about the way you're living, if you're intentional, if you have eyes on an area of your life, you're likely to have success because you're just paying attention. Finances is exactly the same. There, there's another old, uh, I think it's a like Asian, Chinese, Japanese proverb that says, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. So there are so many people that you can go to to get information, to get knowledge, uh, financial gurus, books you can read, but it's really more about you being ready to pay attention to this area of your life. For me, where I was as a young 22 year old, uh, growing up in, you know, the Christian evangelical world, Dave Ramsey was accessible to me. Whenever I got access to his content, I couldn't get enough. I, uh, and, and, and where I am today, it's not that I fully am aligned with absolutely everything that he says, hook, line, and sinker, but for where I was, it's learning to appreciate. It was what I needed in that moment to give me the foundation and the infrastructure to set up my life in pers personal finance in a, way, in a way that really changed my life, in a way that really changed my life. Yeah, for sure. And we, we love these conversations about finances, honestly. So all three of us in this room do not live paycheck to paycheck. And I, I can't remember the exact statistic. I think it's 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. Something crazy like that. And then COVID hit and people were exposed. And and then they live stimulus to stimulus. Oh, oh never mind. Wow. That we, don't, was... we don't talk politics here. <laughs> but, but seriously, like we don't make a ton of money because we're in ministry. But we've learned some of these principles that have set us up so that 10 years later, while we're still in ministry, we're not living paycheck to paycheck. That is such a fallacy. <laughs> this is one thing that gets me triggered is when people blame ministry for their inability to have financial yep. success. Come on, somebody. I'll never forget. I, was, <clears throat> I wasn't even... <clears throat> Are you me. dying over there? I'm dying, man. <laughs> I can't get Drink enough water. water. I can't get enough. Um, I, I'll never forget. I wasn't even married to my wife yet. We were just dating. And her uncle is a pastor, he's a minister, and he's incredible. And he has a few kids, and they all went to college, and we were hanging out. And while we were talking, they were talking about the amount of student loan debt that they had. And as we were just sharing their story, all three of them, just as casually as you could possibly say it, said, well, we had to have student loan debt because our dad was in ministry. Mm -hmm. That was a moment that registered in my spirit in a way that woke me up in a big way 
because I gave my life to full-time ministry when I was in eighth grade. I went to college at a Bible college. My bachelor's is in a Christian field. My master's is Christian leadership. This world, this kingdom church world is what I know. It's what I'm committed to. And I know that it isn't the way that you make millions. I'm absolutely aware of that. But also, it doesn't deserve to get the blame for my bad behavior. Preach. So I can take steps now to put my family in a position to where ministry doesn't have to be the scapegoat for my bad behavior, my my lack of discipline. Uh, that is amazing. So last week we talked about decision making, and some of us are continually with a with a victim mentality, blaming our financial situation for a lack of discipline in our financial study. Yeah, and honestly, we we talked about it last week as well. You have to look at yourself. You have to be honest with yourself about what I'm accountable for in this process. Let's just look at one category. You would be shocked if you've never taken inventory of your budget, how much you spend a month on food, especially eating out. It gets crazy. And while we're on the subject, eating out is expensive. Eating out should be expensive because it is a service they're providing so that you don't have to do dishes, so that you don't have to do the prep work, so that you don't have to go to the grocery store. There's nothing wrong with people making money. And while we're kind of on the subject, that's why you should definitely leave a good tip. I'll say it to you this way. If you can't afford to leave 20% or more whenever you go out to eat, you can't afford to go to that restaurant. The tip is part of the equation. This is our responsibility as not just Christians, but as contributors to society, as as contributors to the economy. Those servers are accounting on a certain percentage of your check to come in in the form of their income. That's part of the system. So don't complain about it. Don't be frugal about it. Just don't go out if you can't afford it. I love it. And this conversation around money, I love it because you and I both get triggered of the same thing. I hate this ideology that because we go into ministry, we have to sacrifice the financial blessing to our kids and our grandkids. And the only way that you can be a financial blessing is if you get some discipline and set up some long-term investments. But I'll never forget where I was. We were in Oklahoma. It was a round table. I think you were with us several years ago. And Tony Fitzgerald said, the greatest financial miracle is not needing a financial miracle. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I was taught wrong about finances by well-meaning people who were in debt or terribly misunderstanding their own finances. And I had been learning from these people. So I just had this assumption that because I don't make much, I'll always never make much. Mm. And I, I had to have that moment where I was like, wow, I can be the the generational blessing for my grandkids by getting disciplined in this area. Yeah, well, some of that too, you're right with what you're saying, but some of it is what are you talking about whenever you say you don't make much? Like if you consider the global, right. whenever you consider the global economy, you live in America. If you have a roof over your head and running water, you are in the top like 10% right. of the world's economy. I don't know if that stat is true, but no, yeah. 95% yeah, yeah. of stats are made up anyways. But you are doing better than you think you are whenever you look at it reasonably. You have access to more systems. You have access to more, uh, probably more employment than almost anywhere on the planet, really, if you live in this nation. So you have so much potential at your fingertips. And the question is, you always, it comes back to this, you have to be honest with yourself about the role you're playing in your personal finances. So really, if if we're going to talk about personal finances, it, it just comes down to this. There are only three things that you can do with money. And Corey, I know you've heard me say this before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There are only three things you can do with money. You can give, you can save, and you can spend. 
you can give and you can save and you can spend. And it's very trendy in the the new covenant minded churches to talk about the tithe, to rail against the tithe. Hey, look, rail against the tithe all you want. What God requires of us in the new covenant is everything. So if you're checking a box with the tithe to, to cross that off and say, well, I did my duty, you're probably not giving him your whole heart, your whole self anyways. So if one of only three things we can do with money is give, buddy, you better start getting generous. Uh, John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I was praying one time and I was just asking God to make me more like him. You know, it's a very typical prayer. God, I just want to be more like you. And the only word I got back was give for God so loved the world that he gave. And this is the word. You are never more like God than when you're giving. You are never more like God than when you're giving. Yep. Yeah, no, I say that all the time, and I remember you, you know, speaking that to us and over us and even preaching that, and I just really took that to heart, and I use that quote all the time. Yep, so then if the first thing that you can do is give, the second thing that you can do is save. The Bible talks about storehouses and barns and all these kinds of things. Hey, even put some treasure up in heaven if you can. This saving mentality, this investing in your future, this concept of investing in your family. What does it say? A good man leaves an inheritance for his children's children. Now, what is true about that is that it isn't only financial. Maybe you're not going to be able to leave millions. Maybe you're listening to this podcast and you're past the age where you're going to be able to leave this incredible amount of finance for the generations coming behind you. Well, have confidence today. Let grace come into your life as you realize you can leave an inheritance of integrity. You can leave an inheritance of honesty. You can set a good example in character and leadership and work ethic. All those things are fantastic. But in the proper context, that verse is talking a lot about money, that a good man leaves an inheritance for your children's children. And if you have the means to store up, not only to look after your own self, but to look after other people, well, then in that way, saving is giving. Because you're not just doing it to meet your needs. And I think that's one of the critical things that we have to break the mindset of. of I just have to look after my own needs and step into how am I living a life broad enough to, to care about the people around me as well. So you got give and you got saved. Did you guys want to say anything about saving? I know you're both some savers. Yeah. So you actually put the investment category under saving then. Like mm-hmm. when you're talking about retirement and everything, like that's just in the save bucket. Absolutely, of course. And and for me, it's very disciplined. It's a certain percentage of my income every single year that I'm saving in a routine habit way. Maybe for you, it's out of every paycheck, or maybe for you, it's uh, it's on a monthly basis as you see fit. If you're not aware of systems, I can promise you that there's somebody in your world, there's a YouTube channel, there's some way that you can have access to information. Or if you even email these guys here, I'm sure they'll send you a book. They're so generous at this church. If you if you really want access to like a Dave Ramsey book, they'll probably mail you one out, right? For sure. We actually love this conversation almost more than anything. And we're available to people. If you want to help with budget and planning and financial stuff, again, we're not we're not financially certified, but we can help you get point, those point to the right direction, point in the right direction, get those baby steps as Dave Ramsey calls them and, and help you in the, yeah, absolutely. So if you're not leveraging things in your life, like your 401k, your 403b, your Roth IRA, if those words sound like German to you, shoot an email, look them up, figure something out because it's actually on you to make your future different. We're not just gutter balls floating through the river of life. It We're not just people that life happens to. 
we are sons and daughters of God that get to make life happen. We get to be creators in that way. So be inventive, be aggressive, own your future, own your finances. And and I don't know who this is for, but maybe it starts by killing any type of thought that, that was projected on you growing up through your faith tradition or your family, that poverty is holiness. Maybe you got to tackle that demon first, because that is absolutely not true. There's no truth in it. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, not the not money is the root of all evil. It's making it something that it was never intended to be. It's turning money into an idol. The truth is, money is an inanimate object. I can be holding a brick in my hand right now, and is that brick good or bad? It's nothing. It, it takes on the spirit that I give it. It takes on the spirit that I impart to it. So I can take that brick and throw it through somebody's window, and all of a sudden, that's a bad brick. Or I can take it to Guatemala and build an orphanage for kids, and that's a good brick because it takes on the spirit that I give it. And me, as someone who has been breathed the breath of God into their life, I carry in myself the ability to impart spirit into everything that I do, including my finances. Yeah, yeah. Money money is not the evil in and of itself. It magnifies your character. That's it. And so uh, I let, I think you said that you preached in our, our series a long time ago that money is an indicator and a magnifier. And we want to just encourage you. Next week, we'll probably give you a lot more practical steps around finances and, and taking that next step for you to start a budget. We sat down with a guy recently. I love what you said about just even writing the numbers down. He was shocked to find out that he spent $600 a month going out to eat. That's not groceries for his family. That is him going out to eat almost every lunch. $10, and for those $15. of you that think that's a crazy number, if you haven't looked at your budget, you might be surprised. Yeah. And it's like, oh my gosh, I just, I, I'm just throwing away money on something that I just haven't been disciplined with. Or you're like, hey, where's my money going? And you don't know where your money's going. That's a quick way to find out that you have no inheritance for your kids because you're not being disciplined in certain areas. Every single one of us to be financially stable in the long run requires sacrifice in some area. And you have to determine what you're going to sacrifice. But if you're not aware of it, you're never going to sacrifice. And so we would just want to encourage you to really just begin that process of, if you haven't already, to make finances not something that drowns you because you'll never be able to dream when you're drowning. Yeah. And I just, I know you just already spoke to, you know, the, the giving and even to the saving, but just real quick, hit that spending aspect. I mean, of course it's you know, pretty straightforward. But at the end of the day, also, we have to be good stewards, right, with what we've been given. But also, I don't want anybody to feel like shame around what they spend money on either. So just speak to that just yeah. for a minute, you know, to wind things For out. me, this is the power of the budget because your budget that you create is your ability to give yourself permission to spend without feeling any type of guilt, shame, or remorse. Yeah. It is money that you allocate to the spending category before the month begins that you have agreed if you're married, you agree with your spouse, you agree with your partner, you agree as a family. This is the amount that we're comfortable spending for this month, it's unique for this month because the amount of money you bring in might be unique that month. But one rule that we have in our own household, I'll tell you two rules that we have. One, we don't spend what we don't have. I learned this real quick from my dad as a kid, cash on the barrel head, cash is king, right? We walked in, he needed to buy a little minivan. It was, uh, I think, I still remember it was like 8,700 bucks. He walked in with seven grand cash. We drove off with that minivan, right? So cash, I learned from an, a very early age, is the best way to move forward. I don't spend money that I don't have. The other thing that I do 
is I have a limit. We call it sleep on it. So if a, if any item that we want to buy is over a certain amount, we sleep on it. It just kind of gets rid of the impulse. Um, so we dialogue about it as a family. And for us, uh, our number has changed over the years as our income has increased and all those things. But early on in our marriage, the number was a hundred bucks. It was literally a hundred bucks. If something, if a single item, now if you go to groceries and spend a buck 20, that's not a big deal, but over a hundred bucks, that was just our number. And then it grew to 200. The important part isn't to be legalistic with the number and making it small. The critical thing is you're paying attention to what is happening in your finances. If you have a partner, if you have a spouse, you're dialoguing freely about what your number is. And maybe this month it needs to be a little less because, you know, maybe somebody's going through a job change or whatever the case may be. But the critical components are you're paying attention and you have a partner. If you're not married, maybe you can find somebody who can hold you accountable in these areas. And you can even go to coffee. (laughs) Don't go to coffee if you're trying to save money. Just make coffee at home. (laughs) But (laughs) coffee is one of the craziest ways to spend money. It's cheap. But it's just something that you can do to pay attention, to have some accountability built around you in this area. Yeah. And uh, I just want to encourage the listeners. Being a Christian does not mean, I love you talked about poverty here. It does not mean you can't have nice stuff because I think actually we were driving and maybe five or six years ago, and we were talking about how I had just bought a 2002 Lexus uh, like 10 years ago, and I bought it for $7,000 cash. I didn't go into debt for it, and I was getting ridiculed by someone else who was a Christian for buying a Lexus, and they had just bought a brand new Jeep and had car payments, and we were like, okay, who was the better steward? I'm not, I'm not going to say any names. It's not like this. But it was ironic that Christians had an opinion about me driving a Lexus, even though it was 11 years old at the time. I had no debt, and he's taking on debt to buy a brand new Jeep that was leased that he didn't even own. And we were talking about, oh, man, it's ironic because people will have an opinion about you buying like a $400,000 house while they're living in a $150,000 house But that $150,000 house, like you said earlier, is higher than 90% of the world. And so you said something, I wrote it down. I don't know if you remember it, but you said, Corey, you can't be thinking about that because you'll never be poor enough for some people. Hmm. And I remember thinking, wow, there's always going to be somebody, maybe you know them, maybe you don't, that has a critical opinion about where you spend your money. But as a follower of Jesus, if you are a good steward, you are still allowed to have nice things. So don't beat yourself up just because you have specific goals or just because you have nice things. And some Christians have a problem with that because those Christians that tend to have a problem with you having nice things don't know how to manage their life. And then they're just being critical and judgmental because they're just jealous. Yep, absolutely. So much of our spending patterns really need to come down to one word, ratios. You need to take inventory of your entire picture. And maybe that car is outside of your ratios. But here's the thing, maybe it's not outside of somebody else's ratios. So one, you need to understand the confines that you need to set your systems and structure and your finances around so that you're living within your means. But also you need to give grace to other people without casting judgment on them because you don't know their story. You don't know their ratios. And maybe for you buying a $10,000 car would be like that person buying a $40,000 car. They feel it the same way that you feel the 10. So it just doesn't matter. And I know that as Hannah and I have increased in, I mean, whenever we got married, we were 22. So hopefully our income has gone up over the past 11 years. But as we've increased, 
there are amounts of money today that used to feel like, oh my gosh, well, I'll never see all that amount of money in one place. Mm -hmm. And now we write a check for that amount. I bought a car whenever I moved to Charlotte a couple years ago and we hardly felt it, wrote the check to pay cash for the car and we hardly felt it. And that was an amount of money that 10 years before I never would have dreamed that I would have had right. that amount of money. So it's amazing what happens whenever you set your life up on a path towards success, what it gives you permission to do. And that's the critical key. Stop being judgy of other people. Honestly, you need to start considering that what's in your eye is the plank and what's in somebody else's eye is the speck. So often we get that twisted. We think that our thing is the small thing and everybody else's issue is the big issue. Breach. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I think Joyce Meyer says it this way. She says, we need to look at other people through rose-colored glasses and ourselves through a magnifying glass. And so often we get that twisted to where we think everything we do is good because we know the backstory, the emotion, and the history. But we right. scrutinize and are critical of everybody else around us to the point that all we're doing is judging them and labeling them where they don't belong. He labeled you Lexus. Mm -hmm. He labeled you Lexus because that's a badge on the front of a car. Who cares? Your real label is the guy that paid cash for an 11 year old vehicle and then drove it for another however long. I drove it, but just got a new car this past you week. You squeezed every <laughs> penny out of that car and then you sold it for two grand. How, how, let's do the math. How many years did you drive that car? Yeah, so I bought it in, in early 2013 and just sold it last week. So eight years. So you had that car for eight years. And I put 100,000 miles on, 98,000 miles on. And it, it only cost you $5,000 to drive that car for eight years. Yeah, because I sold it for two. Yeah, he lost eight grand on that Jeep Wrangler that he bought the day he drove it off the lot. Yeah, it took you eight years to lose the eight the same money that he lost in a moment. Yeah, perspective, people. Perspective. So as we close this episode, I, I want to want to just hear it. What are some of your long term goals that you want to be able to do with money? And that's one of the big reasons for why you're investing long term. Absolutely. Be, yeah, I want to pay off my house. I want to send my kids to college. I want to make passive income, which is not money, not income that you make by doing no work. It's money that you make by doing a lot of work for a short period of time. And then the ongoing maintenance is lessened. People think passive income is I'm just going to buy X and it's going to kick off income for me. Shanik, you know, as a property owner, a large percent of the percentage of that money that you bring in is passive. But that doesn't mean water heaters don't go out. And that doesn't mean roofs don't need to be repaired. God will never create a life for you where you don't have to look after a garden. Hmm. That was the objective from the beginning. He didn't create for us a world without work. He needs us to be stewards of what he's called us to. And believe it or not, you need a garden to manage. Because if you're not causing other things to grow, it'll be you that die. Wow. Wow. Okay. I'm going to have to go back, listen to that one, write that one down, give you credit for about five years and then take it as my own. Just kidding. <laughs> That's the rule. Five years, statute of limitations. So is that it? Do you have any other long-term goals? I think, uh, oh man. I mean, I have, you know, we don't have a lot of big like buying goals. Mm -hmm. um, I really love watches. That's like a category of thing that I like a lot, but I've set a limit for myself on a dollar figure of a watch that I will not buy a, a watch over a certain dollar figure until passive income purchases it, purchases it for me. Mm -hmm. So my goals are less around like a certain benchmark objective purchasing power and more setting up a system for my life that is uh, not necessarily automated, 
but it has money coming in in a way that's generational. So that's yeah. that's more my big goal than I love it. reach a benchmark, see a number on a screen. Um, yeah. Shannon, you got any long-term goals that you want to see happen in your lifetime before we close? I mean, yeah, of course we. I think we all have different financial goals. And, and for me, you know, and Reg already mentioned that I do have several properties. And for me, it's that same thing and making a generational impact. And I want to be able to gift each one of my sons at least one uh, property so that, that they can actually have some passive income, but it's work for them and they can manage it and they can understand how money works and uh, set them up so that they will be different and that their kids, my grandkids, will possibly have a, a different future. I love it. I know for Julie and I, not only do we want to have um, our house paid for, which we're on schedule to do that, even though we just bought one, is we would love to pay for somebody else's mortgage. But you can't do that unless you are being a good steward. Now in this season, we know that that's somewhere later on where we're saving thirty-five dollars to $40,000 for our adoption, again, that we're going to do here in the next year or two. And in 10, 20 years, we'd love to be the people that come into somebody else's life that wants to adopt and give them a check for 40 K and be like, Hey, adoption. And again, you can only do that if you're being a good steward of your finances now, but we want to encourage you set up some short-term goals that are uh, achievable by the end of this year and set up some long-term goals that on paper right now seem crazy and then work towards that. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah. And so we hope you were blessed by this episode. We'll talk a little bit more next week on some of our financial structures, but no one thing as always you're loved and there's nothing you can do about it. 